0: Well, good morning everyone, and welcome to Barracks Row, Bombay Butter Chicken Sunday. All right, Just going to be delicious. Uh, if you've ever been to Bombay 2 on Bombay Street Food 2 on Barracks Row, it is spectacular. Uh, butter chicken's just delicious. Uh, so I've got slight bad news. Slight bad news is. They couldn't have it ready until 11.15. It'll be available at 11.15 and of 11 o'clock. And so that doesn't actually matter for you guys because I'll probably preach long anyway. And so anyway, we should be right outside. going to be delicious. A great chance for us to do that. And then uh, we are highlighting some international ministries today uh, that we will talk about uh, during the announcement time. But please, please, please stop by. The rice is amazing. And the butter chicken, I think, is the best in town. It's just delicious. And so uh, again, uh, versus what some of you might make at home, all right, what you can buy in a store, all right. It's pretty good. And so I just want to encourage you, spend some time hanging out together after the service is over and get you some butter chicken. All right. Uh, moving on. So here's the deal. Uh, jump into this real fast. You were handed a sheet of papers. You came in uh, with information from an email uh, that was sent out yesterday. Now, here's the deal. There are several of you that come into church to a deal like this. You are, are we going to spend the entire time on this? My goal is eight minutes on this So that then we can jump in and not discount the scripture and what the Lord has to say to us today. But something pretty crazy happened on Friday uh, and we need to walk through uh, what took place. And so uh, if you will look at this with me real quick, I'm just going to read to you from our page. A lot has happened in the past couple of days. As many of you are aware, for the last seven years... We have had our eye on the old propeller shop warehouse a couple of blocks south of our facility right next to DOT on New Jersey Avenue. About three, three blocks from here. Two and a half blocks. More than that, for the past six months, we have been pursuing a way that we could attain it at some point. Uh, we currently have plans to build a five-story building here at 100K Street Southeast. But we must have a place to go during the build-out. And there's a dream scenario where 100K Street here is purely education and kids ministry space uh, with a separate larger sanctuary on another plot. Now, during our research, we discovered that the propeller shop warehouse was actually two separate lots. The propeller warehouse and the vacant green space uh, in front of it pictured below. It's on that back page here. Up until yesterday, we only had one price for both lots, $12 million dollars. That was an amount completely out of reach for us and didn't include the build-out, uh, which would be close to $3.5 just to overhaul the warehouse. Historically, you got to spend a whole bunch of money on historical restoration stuff as well. That was The reason it's called the propeller warehouse is that's where they built the propellers for the battleship, uh, battleships years ago. Thus, not knowing what their asking price would be for each space separately or even if they would split them, we started asking questions about the green space in front and why a high-rise building had not been built on it already. We came to find out that the green space was about 10,000 square feet, but was only allowed to have a one-story building with a mezzanine that makes up about 3,815 square feet. But for us, the possibility of a 400 to 500-seat sanctuary with a 1.2 million projected for the build-out and generous outdoor seating, uh, if that were needed. One of the numbers you need to know for churches out here is seven square feet per chair, all right? It typically requires seven square feet, seven square feet per chair, and so with the mezzanine, upping the uh, upping the square footage of that space to about forty-eight hundred. If you've got a thousand square feet for babies and lobby space, and then bathrooms. Um, that means that we could get to a four to 500-seat sanctuary, even in this spot. Because it's only a 2,100-square-foot plot, you can get to 299 in the new building. But this would be one of our last chances to be able to get a sanctuary that's larger than 299. I don't mind preaching 65 times a weekend, all right? But if you want me to live, all right, uh, we're going to have to figure out some other solutions. And this would be one of them, Ready? So after waiting several weeks for a meeting... This Thursday, our, re- our realtor uh, had a discussion with DC Zoning and found out some very important information about the lot, including that there would be officially no parking requirement on the facility for churches. This is huge because typically any building south of M Street and north of the river and Navy Yard has required one parking spot for every 20 seats in the sanctuary. This stipulation has us deeply limited, but not with the green space. After the meeting, I told our realtor to check in with the owners of the grass plot with a list of questions. And when he called the next day, this is yesterday, but it was the day before yesterday, around 2 p.m., everything changed. The owner said that they had received multiple offers for the lots in a short amount of time, and they were needing our offer by the end of the business day. This was at 2.15 p.m. on Friday, and they needed an answer by 5 p.m. It says, uh, again, we we had three hours to make a decision Their realtor also let us know that they had offers on both spaces for around $10 million, but they had also received a high offer for just the warehouse and would consider $4 million for just the green space. It was the first time we had an actual number on that space. Right now, we have the ability in our budget to comfortably pay the monthly mortgage on a note that size, but we did not have the 20% down payment in hand to immediately make a move in three hours." I called an emergency board meeting and we all unanimously agreed that if we had more time, we could have put an offer together, but instead we would have to decline. We prayed about it and then we called our realtor to get the news relayed. We would love a shot at the property, but it would take more than three hours notice. It was at that point that the owners said we could have until 10 a.m. Monday. Initially, that didn't change anything. We still didn't have the down payment in hand, but my spirit began to stir. What was the difference between 5 p.m. on Friday And 10 a.m. on Monday, we would be gathering to worship on Sunday in between. As I prayed through what all this information meant, an important example came to mind. Years ago, when I was a youth minister in Grapevine, Texas, an up-and-coming pastor named Matt Chandler, some of you might have heard of him before, was at a church about 10 miles up the road. Their church was growing fast, and real estate was unfolding at a rapid rate. One day, a shopping center near their little property came available with multiple suitors. Property would be gone the following week. So, after prayer, Matt went before the church and told them the situation and said, If you want to do this, I need you to give today so we can do it. And the people did. And they got the property. I've never forgotten that story. It was at that point that the Spirit began to guide my thoughts. Two weeks ago, we asked you to start praying about the warehouse and the green space. In fact, I've driven by and walked by the space since then and I often see one of you uh, near or around the space praying as I pass by. I want you to know your prayers are being answered no matter what happens from this point. This is a property that basically sat vacant for 20 years. Everything has grown up around it, but it has sat dormant until this week. We started praying for it two weeks ago and all of a sudden it stirred. Either God has brought this to a head So that we can move on to something else, or he wants us to take possession of the land. I want you to know that it is taking no small amount of courage to even put this before you. However, I'm compelled to ask you, would you partner with us sacrificially so that we can make a move at this property? We would need to raise $800,000 to cover the 20% down payment on a $4 million note. We're not asking you to write a check today, but rather to email us a pledge by 8 a.m. Monday So that we could that could be paid in full before March the 1st if the money doesn't get pledged We can walk away from this knowing the Lord's answer was truly no at this time without having any without having to return anything And if the answer is yes We will have taken possession of the promised land together Will you help us? Will you pray through a sacrificial pledge and we will notify you via the churchwide email on Monday at noon and let you know what decision has been made So here's the deal We emailed out yesterday. I wrote this email, by the way, which you just read, at 3.40 in the morning yesterday. I woke up, and it was like, you ever had this happen before? The Spirit woke me up, and I was fully rested at 3.40 in the morning. And so I drove up here, sat out in front of the space, and just prayed. And I'm telling you, just being honest with you, I was scared to ask you, because a leader expels personal capital when they ask for something that doesn't end up happening. And I remember being so afraid, and I was listening to a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Some of you old schoolers will remember Stephen Curtis Chapman. i listening to Stephen Curtis Chapman, a song called Magnificent Obsession, and uh, just a beautiful song about faith and, and, and having the Lord be your obsession uh, and not the things of this world. And I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, and I write this message. And at that point, I thought, we'll just see. I felt like my role was to ask, and then just see what would happen. Well, just from the email... Uh, That was sent 25 hours ago because it went out at at about 9:15. 25 and a half hours ago, guys. We are already at $500,000 that has been pledged, and so we're close. I don't know what's been done this morning, but I'm just letting you know it has been remarkable. I felt like if you ever saw "It's a Wonderful Life," I feel like George Bailey with the basket. You know what I mean? Where they're like, "Here it is," and then all of a sudden, Mister, you know, Mister Gower cables, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you get all that. It's just been bizarre to watch. And so I just cried and cried and cried yesterday to see the Lord's hand at work. And so all that's to say, I'm not telling you that we're doing this. I'm telling you what the need is. I felt like it was my role to present and then to ask you to pray this through. um, The Lord could make more land in Navy Yard if he wanted to. I don't think he's going to. And so because of that, we got a shot at this lot and it would be a shot at a larger sanctuary. And so You just need to know um, that's what's there. I wanted to place it before you today. So let's pray. And then you don't need to drop off a gift now. What you would need to do is go to info at waterfrontchurchdc.com and then email again your name, the amount, and the date that you plan on being able to pay it by. Uh, anything helps. I believe that we have just over 30 families uh, that have already given just from that email. And so I want to encourage you, everybody try to do something. You'd be shocked at what little amounts are able to produce over a larger group. And so I pray it through. And then this is cool too. Um, If you look at the picture, I did my iPhone picture here so you could see the timestamp this picture was taken on Friday morning uh, before any of this stuff unfolded. It says yesterday, but this was, this was on Friday there. I went out in front of the space and just began to pray, and then all this other stuff unfolded. I don't know if this is going to be a story that ends gloriously. What we got to see is the Lord has stirred a lot of hearts, and we got a shot. Uh, this is something where we could have a chance at this. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into our lesson. God, thank you for today and for your blessings in it. Lord, we thank you, if anything, This has reminded us, you hear our prayers. Lord, when we reach out to your heart, it stirs you. And Lord, it's a powerful thing to know. You hear us. Um, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, open doors only you can open. And Lord, I pray also just as powerfully, shut doors that only you can shut. Show us what to do. Stir hearts. And Lord, we can't wait to see what it is that you have next for us. I do believe with all my heart Waterfront Church is called to Navy Yard. We pray that you would make a way where it seems like there is no way. In Jesus' name, amen. Enough of that, all right? If you got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 67. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. It starts with this question today. Have you ever had a moment when you had everyone's full attention before, right? You're had a moment when you had everyone's full attention before. Now, the first example that I kind of get in my head is like someone behind a conference table with a whole bunch of microphones, right? I, some of you have literally had that before, all right? Um, some of you, it's more you've got your family's full attention, you've got a community's full Attention, maybe you stood up at school and got to give a speech on some issue, but I'm telling you, you had everybody's full attention. Um, how do you get into that position? Sometimes it's a position of authority, sometimes it's life experience uh, because you've experienced something, and people want to know what you have to say on the subject, sometimes it's education. Uh, Sometimes, let's just be honest, it's just right place, right time, right? They want to know what you've got to say because you were the one out in front when the event took place, right? Um, My favorite example of them wanting to know uh, what you have to say is with athletes at the end of a major win in sports, right? I mean, that moment, here's the deal. You picture somebody who has just made a big play, um, somebody who has just won the game, a quarterback that's led the team down the field. Tom Brady's a master at this, right? What you have in that moment is raw honesty, all right? There's massive ego and massive pride in that moment. In some cases, there's incredible humility that you get to experience. What I love about the end of an athletic event like that, when they shove the microphone in that person's face, they are getting honesty in that moment, unfiltered and, un, uh, and unspun. They're going to get to see all of it. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. It is always honest. Uh, one of the best examples of that happened in the The finest moment in all of Texas Tech athletics history, all right, that was when Michael Crabtree caught the ball uh, against the University of Texas and ran down the sidelines. I'm sorry you all get the Lubbock stories. I'm from Lubbock. It's just how it works, all right? Biggest moment in Tech athletic history, Tech is playing University of Texas. Those are the years where Colt McCoy was the quarterback doing all these different deals. And so Michael Crabtree, who would end up winning receiver of the year twice in a row uh, and going on to play in the NFL... Michael Crabtree catches the ball on the second to last play of the game, sprints up the sidelines and scores the touchdown to win the game for Tech. Most people don't remember that was the second last play of the game. There was still one second on the clock, and Tech almost lost the game because the students rushed the field when there was still time on the clock. All that to say, after the game is over, it's this huge moment. Tech will be ranked number two in the country, highest they've ever been ranked, and they would have a shot at the national championship. They would blow it, but they would have a shot at the national championship so what do they do crabtree's made this catch they will play this thing for generations and all of a sudden they stick the microphone in his face and they go michael you caught the game winning pass how does it feel and again pride ego honesty humility all of it come together in that beautiful honest moment michael crabtree says this you go watch it online he goes y'all aren't going to believe this but I dreamed that. And then he goes, in my head. And that's what he says right there. That's the famous line. I dreamed that, in my head. And so you watch it. automatically. that's been a word around our hearts. Anytime she goes, I dream that, I'll go, in your head? And she's like, yeah, in my head, right? So here's the picture. So honest, so beautiful. And it becomes this moment where, again, it, it becomes something a little bit bigger. In the passage of Scripture that we've been studying, Zechariah is the one who is behind the conference table with all the microphones at him? He's the one who's experienced the game winning catch and the microphone is in his face. How do you feel about this? Remember, Zechariah experienced being picked by Lot to be able uh, to be the priest before the Lord. He experiences the angel that tells him, Your wife that you've been praying for for decades is going to give birth to a son. That son's going to be someone who's used powerfully by the Lord, but because you didn't believe what we had told you would happen, He, for nine months and eight days, has been deaf and has been mute so that he couldn't speak a preacher that wasn't able to preach. Not only that, he experiences seeing his wife become pregnant, seeing his wife grow with child. He experiences Mary coming in and sharing the story about Jesus where he couldn't hear it. He could only see it in her. He watches for months as Jesus, his nephew, grows. And then he experiences the birth of his son. When you have the moment that we studied last week, where he looks and says, his name is John, the baby that's being born, his name is John. Not it should be John, not it will be John, but the angel told me his name is John. That proclamation of faith, when he writes it on the tablet and shows all of a sudden in that moment, his tongue is loosed for the first time, his ears, he can hear again, his senses come back to him and everybody's sitting there going, whoa, the preacher that couldn't preach for nine months, what's he going to say? What's he going to have to say to us? Now, look at what happens now. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Here's this moment. It says, his father, his father being John the Baptist. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Underline, filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea here is filled with this honesty, and it says he prophesied. If you're taking notes, prophesied simply means not to tell the future. Prophesy here means to proclaim with power. In the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking as the mouthpiece of God and proclaiming with power, right there before the microphones, all of a sudden, Zechariah is about to speak. Now, a little side note before we jump into this. We're going to divide Zechariah's sermon in two parts, this week and next week, and here's why. The first part of Zechariah's sermon... Serves as a proclamation that Jesus is the Son of God and it is a rejoicing that the Messiah is coming. The second part is the rejoicing in John the Baptist, his son. Now, don't miss this. This man who's been silent for more than nine months, when he has prayed for decades for his own son, the first thing he does when the microphones are in his face is give glory to God for Jesus. Before he praises God for the thing he had prayed for for decades Don't miss the power in that moment if you're taking notes write this down. Are you ready? When we find ourselves in the spotlight We glorify God by pointing to Jesus. Let me say that again when we find ourselves in the spotlight we glorify God by pointing to Jesus. Now, because I gave you an athletic example, don't picture that being anytime something good happens to you at work, you're like, thanks, Lord. All right, there it is. Glory to God. That's here. It's Neither here nor there, whether you believe athletes doing that are godly or not. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Find a way through the words that you say, through the actions that you live, through the way that you interact at work, through the way that you interact at home, through the stuff that you post on Facebook or the stuff that you post on the web. Listen to me. When you have those moments, you give glory to God by when you're in the spotlight, finding a way for your life to point to Jesus. And that's what Zechariah does here in an absolutely beautiful way. I got to go recently, not too long ago, and speak at a retirement party. And this was for an an individual very highly decorated and was at the conclusion of a 35 plus year career. And here's the deal. This was a really big deal. Thousands of troops at this person's command. Um, they connected to our church uh, because, of, uh, uh, because the last Bible study that my father ever started in Stephenville, Texas, was at this person's church that they grew up in. It was crazy the way the Lord knit that together. Not only that, his father and my father died four days apart. There were all these weird connection points that happened. And I'll never forget, he messaged and said, hey, I want you to speak at my retirement party. And I said, okay. Uh, I, said, uh, I said, are you sure? <laughs> you, know, you want me to do that? And he goes, no. And he goes, we've got the big pomp deal with the military. He said, this is the one at my house afterwards, he said, with the people that are closest to us. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, I got lots of stuff that I'd love to say about you. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, I want you to talk about Waterfront Church. I said, what? End of his 35-year-plus career. And he goes, it's been so important to us, the things that God has done. He said, we have to give back for what he has done for us. He goes, would you come and share the story of Waterfront Church? I said, at your retirement service? At your retirement party? He said, that would mean the world to me if you'd come and do that. I've never forgotten that. It was special. And can I just tell you, finding a way... Now, I don't want to come speak at all your retirements, all right? It'd be great, all right? You're great. I love it, okay? But when you've got a moment and the spotlight's on you, find a way that's tasteful, to point to Jesus. Find a way to give him credit and glory because scripture tells us all good things come from him. So that's what Zechariah is about to do. Look at Luke chapter one. We're going to go into now verse 68 and we're going to address what it is that that, uh, Zechariah talks about. This million dollar question today, if you're taking notes, write this down. Why did God send his son Jesus to us? Why did God send his son Jesus to us? Zechariah speaks about this before he speaks about the blessing he had been praying for for 20 plus years. Look at what happens. Why did God send his son Jesus? Now verse 68 will answer that question for us. Are you ready? Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come, look at this, and has redeemed his people. Underline, redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Underline, salvation in the house of his servant David. And he said, through his holy priests of long ago, look at this, salvation from our enemies. Underline, salvation again there, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Stop right there for just a minute. After experiencing his own blessing, Zechariah turns and says, man, I experienced the Messiah. The thing that we've been praying for since I was a little boy, that they've been praying for for thousands of years, this is finally coming to fruition. And he says, Jesus has come to us, number one, to save us and redeem us. Write that down. To save and to redeem us. Now, just for the record, sometimes we get those two words kind of interchangeable when they are very, very different. Saved, the picture of saved would be like a a, a junkyard Lot and here's the deal. you ever watch those TV shows before where they take a beat-up car and they turn it into something nice? There's like 20 different shows like that I love them all all right when you watch it you got the car at the junkyard It's beat up. It's rusting. It can do nothing good on its own. It needs outside help So what do you do the master shows up and? saves the car taking it off the lot and placing it in their own garage. And then in the garage, they redeem the car. They clean it up. They make it useful again. And they get it running. You can write this down if you want to. Save means you pull it off the lot and bring it into your... The the, the Savior brings it off the lot and brings it to his garage. Redeems means he pays our debt cleans us up, and gets us running and useful again. That's the picture that we have of Jesus being our salvation and our redeemer. There is no way we can get off the lot on our own. He has to save us, bringing us to his own garage, and then he redeems us. He pays our debt, cleans us up, and he gets us running again. If you're taking notes, write this down. Your sin sits on your shoulders until you place it in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Let me say that again. Your sin sits on your shoulders until you place it in the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, like a car rotting in the junkyard. We can do nothing good on our own. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we can be set free. Paul writes it a little bit harsher. He writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Flip that direction. Save your spot in Luke. But in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says it this way. He says, as for you, talking about all of us, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You are a rotting, rusting car in the junkyard. There's nothing good that you can do on your own. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdoms of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Verse four is where the power is. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy saves us, makes us alive with Christ. And even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Paul says we were dead. There's no way we could get out of it on our own. Our sin rested upon our shoulders. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus. We are made alive and made new once again. Hallelujah. It begs the question, and this is the trillion-dollar question. Have you been saved and redeemed? Have you been saved and redeemed? Is there a moment in your remembered past when you allowed Jesus Christ to take you off the lot and put you in his garage so that he could redeem you? That's the question for eternity. Not if you did good things. Not if you helped people. Not if you gave to a church building project. Not if you were friends with a pastor. At the end of the day, did you allow Jesus to put you in his garage and clean you up? That's the question that stands for eternity. You know, when I did that, when I was in the fifth grade, I was at a camp called Camp Chaparral in Iowa Park, Texas. I'd heard a thousand sermons before. My dad was the preacher. But that day, the Holy Spirit called out to my heart. And even I, one who grew up in the church, one who had a father who was a minister, Even I still had to say yes to the spirit when he called. When he asked if he could take me into his garage, I had to let him. Have you been saved and have you been redeemed? Now flip back over to Luke chapter one and let's read the next part. Point two for Zechariah. You ready? He redeems us. He saves us. Now look at this. This is interesting. To show mercy... To our fathers, underline our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, underline his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, underline our father, Abraham. Now stop right there for just a minute. After Zacharias says he redeems us and he saves us, the very next thing he says, why would God send his son Jesus to us? Number one, to save and to redeem us, but number two, because he promised he would. Because he promised he would. God sent his son, Jesus, because that was the covenant that was made with Abraham. Because that was the promise that was made generations and generations before. And can I tell you why that's important for us to this day? Because the promises of God that were true then are just as true now. Amen? When we come to this time of year, Christmas time, one of the reasons that we celebrate this is because it's the start of the rescue mission. It's the beginning of the word, make, the word becoming flesh and making his dwelling among us. Why did God do that? Because he promised he would. And God keeps his promises. It's interesting. A promise, I tried to think of the way that a promise works in my life. I try to think of a promise as something that you can lean on. Something that's Trustworthy and something you can lean on. So back in the day when I was in a little bit better shape, all right? We used to take groups of kids to go rappelling in the Arbuckle Mountains. And you ever rappelled before? Raise your hand. Done rappelling. Rappelling's fun, right? It's a great deal, but but takes a lot of faith. Rappelling is that deal where you take a little rope, you tie it to a boulder. It's teeny tiny skinny, right? A little skinny rope. And then you lean backwards with that rope going through a really, I mean, maybe a half pound piece of metal called a carabiner, all right? And you lean back with all your weight, and then you hop down a mountain, all right? It's just the way that it works. In the Arbuckle Mountains, the big part, I think, was 150 feet, the big cliff. And you just would lean back, and then you hop down the mountain. But I'm telling you, every time you look and you go, so this little teeny tiny rope is going to hold me, right? Right? This little bitty rope, and I'm telling you, I don't know how much physics you've studied. The math adds up, but it does not compare to your eyes looking at that teeny tiny rope, seeing your big body, and going, do I really trust that if I lean, that this is going to hold me up if I put all of my weight on it, right? That is trust. And so many times we look at God, and we go, Lord, I know the physics behind it, I know that I've trusted you with my, life for sal- with my sin for salvation. But when it comes to my life, I don't know if I'm ready to lean in the full capacity on this. So one time when we were doing rappelling, had a friend of mine named Tiny Dominguez. Got a great picture of this. Tiny was at the time, he's lost a whole bunch of weight. But Tiny at the time was over 400 pounds. He had played defensive tackle for UTEP. I mean, big, strong, buff guy. He was our speaker that week. And I remember... The leader, I was the one who was facilitating this deal, but uh, we had another group that was leading, and he goes, oh yeah, he goes, that rope, that rope will hold 1,100 pounds of pressure. But it was different hearing that, going through the training, and then all of a sudden, anytime you do rappelling, you always hear this, trust the rope, trust the rope, right? Makes sense in theory, and then all of a sudden, there's Tiny, and he was like, is this going to hold me? And he doesn't look at the coordinator of the trip, he looks at me, his friend, (laughs) He looks at me and I'm like, oh yeah, should, should hold you. And the whole time I'm like, oh my goodness. And I remember I'm in close proximity to him, probably about where Nelson is. I'm in close proximity to him and he leans back and I hear, I mean, it's, you can hear the rope stretching. Stretching. And I'm sitting there, which, by the way, it does for everybody, all right? But in that moment, because of what my eyes were seeing, I got super, super nervous. And sure enough, of course, Tiny's able to jump down. The laws of physics are in place for a reason. And all of a sudden, there he is down at the bottom, gloriously rejoicing because it was a, it was a very special moment. Now, listen, I'll tell you that story just to say, when it comes to Almighty God, a lot of times, we would prefer to be the one on this side where I was watching Tiny go down the mountain. Watching him take his step of faith from the outside. But listen to me. We are called as believers in Jesus Christ to lean on Jesus. To trust him with our entire life. To put all of our weight back on him. And then we truly are living in faith. How can we know that he's going to hold us up? Because he promised us he would. Because he promised he would be there for us. If you're taking notes. Though we have no control of the timing or the circumstances... We can be confident that the victory is coming. Let me say that again. Though we have no control of the timing or the circumstances, we can be confident that the victory is coming. God sent his son Jesus to complete the work that he promised thousands of years before. Now, it's different sometimes when you feel like, Lord, I'm trying to trust you, but I just feel like there's a lot going on. I just feel like there's a lot of weight on that rope. Save your spot there in Luke 1 and flip open to a great verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, and I want to read verse 9 to you. There's some of you that need to memorize this verse. Are you ready? Here's what happens. If you are in a season where you feel like I have waited a long time for my victory, look at what happens in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Look at this. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I love that this verse starts off by saying God's not slow in his dealings. And then it turns into a verse about evangelism on the back end. God desires for all of us to be drawn towards repentance, to be drawn towards relationship with him. And even though it can seem like it's taking a long time, God is not slow in keeping his promises. He will fulfill it when the time is right. It begs the question, do you trust God enough to lean on Jesus? Do you trust God enough to lean on Jesus? Some of you here have already been saved and redeemed. But for you, the calling of God is for you to lean back on that robe. Not to watch others lean, but for you personally in your work setting, in your home setting, in your community, in your walk of life, for you specifically to lean on Jesus. When you do that, faith is expanded and made present, and made made known in the present circumstances, and it grows you in a way like you only could have imagined. Now flip back over to Luke 1 and we'll close up our passage. You ready? Luke 1, and let's read verses 74 and 75. Here's what it says next. Jesus came to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Underline to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And to enable us to serve him, look at this, without fear. Circle underline and highlight that. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Not just today, but all of our days. It's very interesting to me. Christmas is the start of the rescue mission. And I love that it then turns around and says, and because of our faith in Jesus, it enables us to serve him. But not just to serve him, to serve him without fear. Not just today, but for all days, for every day that's in front of us. If you're taking notes, our final point today, why did God send his son Jesus to us? Number one, to save and to redeem us. Number two, because he promised he would. And number three, to rescue us from emptiness, to rescue us from emptiness. He rescues us and frees us to serve him and to do it with peace in our heart. One last little thing to write down today, a life apart from Jesus can be characterized and summarized in a single word, lost. A life apart from Jesus can be characterized and summarized in a single word, and that word is lost. In the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, flip a few pages over so that we can look at that real quick. Zacchaeus is one who epitomizes this idea of being lost. He's a man who's wealthy but he's a little bit short in stature. He's a man who wants to see Jesus, but again, he feels like everybody's in front of him and he can't get to him. So finally, he climbs up to the top of a tree just so he can see Jesus on his way into uh, the city. As Zacchaeus is there, Jesus then looks up at him and says, hey, I want you to, or I want to, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Verse 6, it says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay it back four times the amount. Now verse 9 and 10, from the mouth of the son of God himself is the mission that we've just read about in Zechariah's words in Luke chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. I've taken you out of the junkyard and put you in my garage. All right, I'm cleaning you up because this man too is what? A son of what? A son of Abraham. It's a fulfillment of God's promise. And verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The same three-point sermon that Zechariah preaches in Luke 1 is the same three-point sermon that Jesus preaches in Luke nineteen nine through 10. There are some of you who are here today, and just being honest, and you're lost. Some lost spiritually, and for some of you, you're just empty. You just are lost because there was a time you were full, and you just feel like the things of this world dragged you away from the Lord. I want to encourage you, allow Jesus to take you out of the junkyard, put you in his garage, clean you up, remind you of the promises, and then fill you not like you were filled before, but fill you as you need to be filled today. Let him give you purpose again. One last little example, we'll call it a day. One of my favorite movies is Toy Story 3. Did y'all see Toy Story 3? Great movie. Great. I think maybe the best Pixar movie there is, and I love Pixar films. There's a scene, and by the way, you had like a decade to see it, so I'm going to spoil it for you. You remember the scene? You want to talk about salvation, redemption, promises, right? And then to be able to have that moment where you are, are not lost anymore, but you are found? It's the lost toy moment. It's the moment where, do you remember, they're at the incinerator, I'm watching that scene in the Pixar movie with my kids, and here's the deal. Normally, I read ahead to kind of figure out what I'm taking my kids to. I didn't with this one, and so I'm watching that scene in Toy Story 3 where they're holding hands going down into the incinerator, going to be destroyed, and I seriously am like, they are not going to kill Woody, right? There is no way. Surely they're not going to not just kill Woody, but burn Woody and all of his friends in the incinerator. I mean, I'm watching this going, surely they're not going to do this. And then what do they do? They leave it with, bum, bum. I mean, the music is going, the fire's there. And then they're like, at least we're together. And I'm like, is that how it's going to end? At least we're together? Is that how this all plays out? Right? I'm watching just so worked up about it. And so sure enough, they're coming down. And then what happens? Salvation and redemption. The claw comes down, picks them up, puts them in the garage, right? Drops them on to solid footing. And then all of a sudden, they are no longer lost. They are found. Now, here's the deal it's real dark, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Without Jesus, you are Woody and Buzz headed for the incinerator. Do you realize that? Without Jesus, that is the fate. You are headed for the incinerator. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus, who sets our feet on solid ground, who puts a new song in our mouth. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Are you lost today? You can find your purpose in Christ, but you can only do that through Jesus. You can't do it through anything else. We find our purpose, our salvation, our redemption and the promises given to us from God. Thanks for listening today. I hope you got something out of it. Don't tune out. Best part of the service these next few moments. Let's bow our heads for prayer.